The business of learning is changing. Learn how to prepare your organization and work with your team to thrive as the demand for learning and development continues to rise. Tune in every week to hear from your host, Casper Spilo, and a range of experts and decision makers as we tackle what this means for L&D professionals, their employees, and business leaders. Now here's your host, Casper Spiro. Hello, good day, and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Changing the Business of Learning. Today we'll be talking about, uh, do you need internal governance with employee-generated learning? So first, uh, a small step back uh, for those people who missed out on previous episodes. So employee-generated learning is a very simple approach where subject matter experts create learning content instead of instructional designers. Um, so I will go into different versions of that uh, in this podcast uh, episode, but uh, the idea behind it is that if you have uh, content that needs to be created and you do that through the old school method of uh, instruction designers interviewing people in the business and then going back and forth, uh, we'll find usually that it takes a lot of time, it's really expensive, but it's almost impossible to keep the content up to date. When you have a separate expert who writes it, it's faster and cheaper, but most importantly, they are connected to the business. So if they are responsible not only for the creation, but also the maintenance of uh, content, uh, then that is the way to creating content that can be actually uh, maintained and kept up to date. So that's one. So the second thing that we had in previous episode, we had uh, Yoni Tonen, uh, one of my colleagues at EC Generator, uh, she's head of customer success, and uh, in her, the episode with her, we discussed a six-step framework. So, if you are going to pilot with employee-generated learning, uh, how you actually can implement that and how you can make it work. So, uh, basically, what it is and how to get started was covered in previous podcast episodes. So, today we are focusing more on internal governance. So, do you need to check and balance everything before it's being published? And that's what we found is really connected to a certain approach of employee-generated learning. There's not just one approach, we have uh, uh, different ones. So there are two big opposites there. So one we called regulated employee-generated learning and the other one we called democratized generated learning. So um, if you look at the, the difference between the two, so um, democratized employee-generated learning Basically what you do, you give a tool to your employees and tell them you can just share your knowledge in any shape or form. So that can be maybe a blog or a podcast or a course or maybe a one page document or whatever you want. So you can just create content and share your knowledge, share your insights, share your experience with your coworkers. Um, and from that perspective, uh, probably, uh, the need for uh, uh, governance will be very low because it's really their thing. Um, the other one, and that goes more to a, a, a process where you have more regulation, so that's also why we call it a regulated approach, is more like tweaking the existing uh, process of creating learning content. And as I said earlier, so usually it's an instruction designer who gets uh, uh, who needs to create a course. Uh, in the old days, they were looking for some experts to interview them, and then they would process the information and put it into a course. The change there, and then you have like regulated employee-generated learning, that instead of interviewing subject experts, the instruction designer is asking the subject experts, do you want to write this course for me? Or maybe I have to say, 
with me. So what is really crucial is that the Superman expert is in charge of the creation. So they are responsible for the content, but there is a big collaboration between the instruction designer that they don't only come up with the topic and the scope of things. They will help them and making sure it's a didactical sound course, they will uh, guide them through the way. And usually these kind of courses, they are more like the planned top-down e-learning format instead of the sort of the bottom-up democratized that I described in the other approach. Uh, and with that, you also probably want to have sort of a check and balance at the end. So you want to have a governance in place. So, but before we dive in deeper, by the way, there's also a third one, which is sort of a mix because the world isn't black and white. It's not only top down or not only bottom up. Very often uh, you will see courses that are a mix of those two. So things that are a bit regulated, but a lot of input from submit experts or the other way around. And that can depend on a lot of things. It can depend, for example, on the kind of content that you are creating. So if it is, a, for example, a, a content for security or a, a content to, uh, for compliancy, then probably it's something that needs to be regulated more. But if it is more like knowledge, practical knowledge, how-tos, best practices that is being shared by a submit expert, then it will be uh, probably more uh, democratized. Another uh, indication, if you have to go the top-down regulated approach or the more bottom-up uh, democratized approach, is the impact it will have. So how many people will actually be uh, impacted by this? Is it just like a, a few or a few hundred? Or is it really, if you are like a global company, will it be, be like uh, half of your company? Uh, and that's another one. Is it something which is global, regional, or local? So the smaller it gets, the more likely it is that you will leave more responsibility with your subpoena expert. And the more global it gets, the more likely it is that you have, will have more uh, control in place. Another one that is really important to consider is the speed of change. It's uh, it connects very often to the, the kind of content. For example, if we talk about compliancy or uh, security, it doesn't have uh, a high speed of change because uh, compliancy, for example, is, is you, make you need to make sure that you abide by the law. And the law doesn't change overnight. So they change every now and then, but that it's not happening uh, like 10 times a year. So with that, the, the objections get uh, content created by instruction designers sort of go away or become less important because it's not that important uh, to keep it up to date because it's not a lot of change. If it's something that describes a business process, that can change overnight. And then you need to make sure you are tapped in into the knowledge of the, uh, the business. And then you want to get into the, the regulated approach. So other things like the culture of your organization, the culture of the, of the location, all determines where you go top down or bottom up. So uh, if we go back to the governance, so in principle, as I said, with democratized learning, you do not have that. So there are a couple of things that you can put in place that uh, will increase the quality and are sort of a quality check, for example. Uh, you uh, you make sure in tools uh, that that people use, for example, in Easy Generator, you have a facility to ask uh, to send a course out for review, and uh, you need to make sure that authors actually use that functionality, and make sure that uh, some organizations just make it mandatory. Make sure that at least two or three of your peers actually review the course, and that you process uh, their feedback. So just uh, that is sort of a check that the content of the course is correct 
or it's not a guarantee, but it will give you a much more confidence that it's right. A very simple one that you can do to increase the quality is make sure that you name the author. Make sure that the, the author, the person, the subject expert who created the course, that he or she is really visible for the learner. There's a double impact. So there's a positive one. On the positive side, positive enforcement is that um, the author that way can present himself as the expert on this field and a sort of make name for himself in the organization. So that is important. On the other hand, if it, they are that visible, they will think twice if their content is not really thought through. So they don't want to publish bad content because they will uh, achieve the opposite. They will not be the expert, but they will be the person that wrote uh, stupid content. Uh, so make sure that you uh, that you make uh, uh, the clear to the learner who created the course and who was responsible for the content, both in a good way to get uh, sort of the praise, but also in a bad way uh, to, to take the blame if it's really bad. And another thing that you have to think is uh, usually bad content will sink away anyway, because a learning management system or an LXP or whatever environment you use, it will actually present learning content if people search. Uh, and one of the things that is taking into account is how many people actually use this content. So it's like with Google. So if nobody reads an article, it will just disappear from the first pages and, and go away in obliquity. So it will just be forgotten. Uh, and basically with learning content, the same thing will happen. So if you have higher stake content, uh, cont uh, content, you probably want to have more control. But just before you go into all kinds of governance uh, processes, think about a couple of things. So first, what was the quality control before you did employee generated learning? So before the seminar experts created learning content, what kind of process did you have in place? So a lot of information probably was already shared between seminar experts that you didn't even were aware of, for example, at a coffee machine or in a PowerPoint or a PDF. So there was no control whatsoever. Now it becomes visible and uh, it allows you to control. But maybe the fact that it becomes visible already is a big change. And the second thing that you need to consider is that very often good is good enough. So that probably doesn't go for the compliance and other top-down initiatives. But if it's about knowledge sharing, uh, probably the 80-20 rule will, uh, will apply. That, uh, with, uh, uh, that uh, you don't have to go all the way. It doesn't have to be perfect to still have the proper learning impact. So it is something that you... Uh, that you have to sort of, I don't want to say you have to lower your standards, but you have to adjust your standard to the purpose of the content. An example of that is, for example, things that happened with video. So in the old days, before YouTube uh, became big, uh, video production was a big thing, and it cost a lot of time and effort to create a video production, and the quality was, was, was everything. But now with, with YouTube, but also with TikTok, we are used to uh, looking at videos that people just created with their, with their phone. And uh, it is still having the impact, if you use that content for learning, still having sort of the same impact as all the directed high quality content. So you don't always need like the perfect content. If you have the good content, which is good enough for your purpose, if it fits the purpose, then it's good enough to use. So you don't have to do better. And that also goes for the quality. So of course you don't want to be make sure that there are incorrect things. And that is why the review function for peers is so important. But even if it's not didactical perfect, it can still serve its purpose. And finally, 
So, and already mentioned that a bit, make a distinction between that didactical review, which you can do, or another instruction designer can do, and the correct content, which has to be checked by peers. Those are two completely different governance processes. And the second one, make sure the content is correct. You have to do that always. And the first one, you ha either have to, uh, you can't, can completely leave that away or have that partially depending on the impact of the content that you have. And there's one final thing that I want to share if we talk about uh, governance, and that is that we found uh, from some of our customers, and one in specific we have some data on, which is the UMCG, which is a, a big uh, university hospital in the Netherlands uh, with like 15,000 people. So what they found is that actually the content created by the peers, so they have the doctors and nurses there creating a lot of the learning content, not all, but a lot. What they see is that people have more trust in those kind of courses because they come from a peer. They have higher completion rates. They have higher learner satisfaction. And they just have more trust in their peers than in an instructional designer, which is not, uh, uh, doesn't have the same background as they have. So that is something to take into account. And it also reflects on governance because what you see happening, if content is created by a peer, so if I'm a doctor and I, read a course from another doctor or I'm a nurse and I read a course from another nurse or I'm a doctor and I read a course from a nurse and I see something which can be improved. What we see as well is that the, the feedback loop from the learner to the author is way more effective if they are peers than if it's a learning department. So um, just the fact that they are with the same background, they have the same background and they speak each other's language makes it easier for people to, to connect to the author and tell them, wait a minute, you left something out or maybe, maybe you can uh, improve this because it's not like uh, uh, covering the real situation. So better feedback loop there also will increase quality again. So that is it for today. So when you create content, especially content with employees, uh, uh, employee generative learning. So first decide what is the best approach. So will it be top down or bottom up? So either the regulated approach, top down, or the democratized approach, bottom up, or will it be a mix of the two? And based on that, you need to figure out what kind of governance do I need? Maybe you don't need any governance. Maybe you need some or a bit more, but probably it will be less governance than what you are used to with a course that's created, for example, externally or with instruction designer. So just take that into account. Thank you. That was it for today and hope to see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Easy Generator, an easy to use authoring tool for subject matter experts. At Easy Generator, we want to empower employees in the business to capture and share their knowledge. How do we do it? By designing an intuitive and simple platform that anyone can use to create learning content for their organizations. To learn more, visit us at easygenerator.com.